Welcome to the Habit Podcast, conversations with writers about writing. I'm Jonathan Rogers, your host. Doug McKelvey is a man of mystery and a writer's writer. He's written novels, screenplays, television scripts, song lyrics. I'm sure I'm leaving something out. Most recently, he's been writing liturgies. If you don't own at least one copy of his book, Every Moment Holy, well, you really should. I wanted to start with the idea that I've heard you talk about on a couple of occasions, and that is the idea of uh, the the phrase you use, and I can't remember where it was that I've seen it, but um, it's the idea of a word that rhymes with everything. Yes. Am I saying that right? Yeah. Tell me about that. I mean, what do you mean? You speak of writing as a way of, of, in terms of finding rhymes with reality. Is that a fair way to put it? Yeah, I think so. I probably first came up with that phrase when I was I was struggling to get a novel written, which is um, usually when I try to write a novel, I do struggle <laughs> with it. Um, and sometimes it's easier to switch genres just as a, a trick um you know to trick myself into writing something yeah, right. um that if it's not the thing i have pressure to write i'm more likely to be able to use the pressure of the deadline of the thing i need mm-hmm. to write you know and let that come out sideways in in some other form of expression uh that then sometimes is able to put me in the creative brain space where i i can come back and actually uh, get some writing done on on whatever project it is that I actually need to uh-huh. need to be working on. Um, so I think it was one of those times, and I needed to be working on a novel. And instead, I started writing a stream of consciousness sort of poem. Um, and the poem was about the writing process and the the struggle with that. And I didn't know where the poem was going to go, but ultimately it kind of, you know, had its own momentum and and found its culmination in this idea that when we're writing, what we're doing is th- casting these lines out there. We're you know we're venturing to travel to the end of each of these sentences. Um, and what we're what we're actually doing is writing a poem where we're setting up rhymes and trusting that we're going to find a resolution when we get to the end of this process, or that we're going to be met by some uh-huh. resolution, and that that resolution somehow is going to have to be something that rhymes with everything, you know, that rhymes with everything that came before it. So that might have been the first time or one of the first times that that I played with expressing that kind of idea in that way. Actually, it might have been initially uh, through subjects with objects. Uh-huh. Um, I think that was probably actually the first time I phrased it that way, which was Subjects with Objects is a collaborative um, art and poetry project that I do from time to time with a, a 
painter in Nashville, a painter animator um, named Jonathan Richter. Uh-huh. Um, and so I had taken one of his paintings, and that was where it that was where it took me. But you can edit all that out if you want to. Yeah, okay. <laughs> so, so you're talking about the idea of launching into a sentence or a work or a or is it? We talking about the sentence level even to say I'm, I'm launching into this sentence, trusting that I don't even maybe I don't maybe I don't know what I'm writing about yet, but as I venture into that, something's going to happen. For me, certainly, there are some times when I venture into a story, um, and then even down to the level of a sentence. You know, you you start it. At least for me, I don't I don't tend to think incomplete thoughts, which is why you know you've heard the, the term "face made for radio." <laughs> right. Well, I, I I don't think that I have a thought process made for podcasting. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> because I have so many pauses mid sentence. Because I'll get out the first part of the thought, and that's all I have so far. And then I'm mm-hmm. reaching for, okay, where is this going? Yeah, yeah, what's yeah. the what's the resolve of this sentence? Um, and in the same way, when I'm writing, oftentimes I will I will take so many runs at a sentence. Because I have, I get the first part of the thought down, and then it can be this laborious process of okay, what's the next? Where does this lead? What's uh-huh. the next logical or the next, um, you know, poetic aesthetic phrase or what? Where is this going? And only when I get to the end of it finally and can put the period on that sentence can I then step back and look at it and say, okay, is this working? Is it is it working on on every level? Yeah, you know, in terms of meaning and aesthetic, um, and then adjust it from there. But yeah, I think it's it's part of why writing is a paralyzing process to me so often is because I'm just. I'm afraid of that unknown, um, mm-hmm. even down to the level of a sentence. Yes, <laughs> <laughs> but okay. So, but it seems to me we're talking about a, a, a walk of faith here, so to speak. That, that a trust that if I if I launch into this, because well, you tell me if, if you think this is true. Does everything rhyme with everything? Anyway, in in, in some sense. In other words, if, if if I if I launch into this thing, I'm going to find. What it rhymes with, although it may not be on the first try. I would I would say yes with some caveat because I think that everything that is true rhymes with everything that is true, mm-hmm. or maybe we could say everything that is true, good, beautiful rhymes with everything that is true, good, mm-hmm. beautiful. Yeah. Um, so certainly, I think there are ideas we could express. That, um, you know, whether it's the aesthetic level or the level of morality or mm-hmm. theology, yeah, where we we experience a dissonance um, in works of art that we encounter, whether it's writing or a movie or or whatever it might be, um, because we recognize that's not lining up with reality with what i know to be true that's not uh, you know this is elevating what is degraded mm-hmm. um rather than 
you know, elevating what is what is good and and right and commendable. Mm-hmm. So, um, so all things as they should be do rhyme uh-huh. with one another, uh-huh. right? Um, but our ears become trained, and and our consciences um, become trained to recognize that that dissonance. Um, you know whether it's on a conscious or just a an intuitive sort of level of something something's not right here something's off in this in this piece of work it's not when you say our consciousness or, or whatever is trained whose who is our um well i i guess i i'm sp- speaking in terms of um hypothetically okay <laughs> and ideally that if we are seeking to understand better what is true, what is good, what is beautiful, what is a scriptural worldview, where is history going, what has, what has God said, how has he defined for us um, – you know what our present reality is in this world mm-hmm. and our future hope um and you know then i think we can extend it beyond that to to say that um for those who are are following christ and seeking to be submitted to his spirit and and his truth and and the effect of the the spirit of god um you know, convicting us of of sin, of error, and you know, and and pointing us toward uh, the glory of Christ, and and you know, the truths that we would want to conform or to be conformed to, that we would surrender to that process. So I'm, I guess I just gave a very shorthand and abstract um, initial way of, of expressing all of that but that's those are the directions i would go to uh-huh. unpack that i think of you now not so much in your, in your liturgies because in your liturgies you're you're submitting yourself to a, to a some very um to another way of writing but but in your fiction i think of you as being very uh inventive mm-hmm. um uh and yet inventiveness the way you talk about writing um you're when you speak of, of rhyming with everything it feels like you're you're talking about uh words that conform with some exterior not words but ideas things that that conform with something outside the work right so so that the work itself is it's not inventive in the sense of you're actually inventing another world or a new reality. Let's say let's say not inventing a new reality, but but conforming to a a bigger reality. To what extent is is invention just a matter of of uh, conforming to something that's, that was invented not by us? <laughs> and so, people listening couldn't see me nodding along to a lot of what you're <laughs> saying, but, or your look um, of fright. Well, let me before we try to explore that. Um, let me give a, a little 
more expansive answer um, to your earlier question, um, because I, I think this all ties together. But as I began to think about that that idea of things that are good and true and beautiful rhyming with one another, um, I began to look at the story of redemption as revealed in Scripture in those terms Mm -hmm. and really began to see God as a poet in a way that I hadn't before. Mm -hmm. Because you begin to look at at elements in the Old Testament, like the sacrificial system, um, the the Passover, the scapegoat. Mm -hmm. Um, You begin to look at all of these things as rhymes that are being set up in a poem. And then there's this tension of what could possibly rhyme with every (laughs) one of these things. Yeah. 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 What do you know? It, you, the, you know, if you, if you put yourself back into an old Testament eschatology and kind of try to forget about the new Testament, you know, as a, just as a thought exercise and put yourself in the place of the, the Hebrew people back then and and these words that the prophets are speaking that they don't even understand what the fulfillment is really going to look like mm-hmm. of some of these things. And, and in addition to things like the sacrificial system, you look at, okay, God's nature is revealed as being just. Yeah. I mean, he, he, his, his, being cannot act in a way that is not just and his holiness has been you know offended by the actions that human beings have taken by the rebellion of human beings and yet he's also merciful and he is loving and how in the world are we going to resolve this poem, the rhyme scheme, when it has to rhyme with justice and it has to rhyme with mercy? And it has to be a perfect rhyme with both of those. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, and then, of course, Christ is that, you know, that final rhyming word at the end Mm -hmm. of the poem that suddenly that rhymes with everything that came before it i mean the fulfillment of god's justice of his mercy you know the fulfillment of the the sacrificial system the scapegoat Mm -hmm. you know yeah and it's so so i became more and more enamored with with this way of viewing um you know the story of redemption, but also looking at works of art through that grid. Yeah, and <clears throat> now to to take it more to the the question you just asked, um, I think there's there's the rhyme scheme that's set up with uh, with the worldview with the um, the morality, the theology, the 
the effect ultimately that this work is going to have on the reader, the viewer, the listener. Mm-hmm. You know, is it going to be, is the net result a redemptive one or, you know, is it going to be something that that leads people to a place, to, to conclusions, to emotions that don't open that space for them to move into a, you know, a, a redemptive movement through that work. But you also have the same thing paralleled on an aesthetic level. Yeah. And so the idea of a work of fiction being inventive rather than derivative, which, you know, I mean, realistically, most works are, are going to be both. Because none of us are reinventing the wheel, even mm-hmm. if we're trying to play with words in a new way. It's not really going to be a new way. You know, it's all yeah, sure. it's all about the influences that that we've consciously or subconsciously, um, you know, chosen to. Well, not subconsciously chosen, but <laughs> consciously chosen or subconsciously been been impacted by. Yeah. But I think the. The task for us in relation to that becomes that even when we're at our most inventive, the work within itself still has to have that internal consistency. Mm-hmm. Aesthetically, the elements have to rhyme, mm-hmm. right? And and if and when they don't, that's when works are clunky. Yeah, yeah. So okay, so it has to rhyme internally, um, and to what extent? Does it have to rhyme beyond itself? I'm trying to get at the idea of of reality, right? The 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 extent to which a work, besides being internally consistent, um, to what extent does it have to be consistent to to some reality outside itself? I love layered works of art, and I love for things to be, you know, if if someone else has created something. Uh, a book, a piece of music, a, f- a film. There's nothing that makes me more excited about engaging with that work than if it is so thoughtfully layered that I know I'm never going to get to the bottom yeah. of all of it. Um, What's a work that you have in, you have that's that's that layered? Well, the first thing that comes to mind is just because it's you know, a week old to me. Um, And that is uh, my son-in-law's band, the Arcadian Wild, just released their new record. Mm -hmm. And there's this song that that Isaac wrote um, about his own experience, and it's called Civil War. And there's so much depth of thought to the musical composition and the interplay of the movements of the music with the lyric mm-hmm. and the meaning that's being expressed there that I just, you know, I'm driving, I'm just listening to it on repeat. Mm-hmm. Um, because there's, I know that, I mean, I'm not a musician. I don't know music theory. Um, but you know, most songs, as I listen to them, I know where the song is going to go. I know the mm-hmm. kind of the four chord, you know, I can hack around on the guitar with chords. And I, 
you know, I, I can guess where the song is going to go next. This song, I can't guess it, but it feels so much like my own internal, yeah. you know, conflicts feel. And it's just, I'm, I'm just amazed at his ability. He, he's so fluent. Um, his, his musical vocabulary is so large. Uh-huh. You know, let me put it that way, that he can create phrases and paragraphs that musically, yes, that I recognize I could. I mean, I don't even understand completely what he's doing. It's like reading yeah. Cormac McCarthy, yeah, right? <laughs> right? I mean, it's like that was a stunning, beautiful paragraph that Cormac McCarthy just wrote. Yeah. Um, I don't know why it works. Uh-huh. You know, I don't know what the 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 grammar is. The I, I I don't know why it works. All I know is that it's it's beyond me, and it's and there's a power in it, and it's again to the idea of layering. Um. That I like to know that something has been so thoughtfully created that no matter how much I explore and, you know, I could I could spend some years researching music theory and trying to get a better grasp on it. But I know I'm not going to get to the bottom of all the choices that Isaac made in mm-hmm. creating that one song. Yeah. So, yeah. It, 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 again, it sounds like you're, you're talking about a kind of in that particular song. I haven't heard that song yet, although I'm going to go listen to it now. Um, the. You're talking about something that that you don't know how this is going to rhyme with itself, and then it and then it does. Right. So now this is a podcast about writing and the writing process. Um, and so, any thoughts on how, how do you how do you make that make that happen? Maybe may not be the right word, but how do we move toward that kind of complexity? That kind of um, um, how do we move toward toward the kind of layering that, that you're talking about in, in the writing process? Uh, to what extent do you think that that Isaac, for instance, understood what he was doing? Um, does Cormac McCarthy know exactly what he's doing when he writes these these paragraphs that that you and I don't know how he did that? Did he know how he did it? I don't know. Yeah, sure. I I, I think that Isaac does know what he's doing but i th- and i i think cormac does as well but it's 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 not necessarily something we can articulate right mm-hmm. because it's i mean we've learned the parameters you know when we're in elementary school hopefully <laughs> of of grammar of yeah. of that kind of structure but that all of the influences that that we take in the things that as we encounter them the works of art that fire our imaginations and that we are shaped by some part of it you know certainly we lose track along the way we never have uh, anything like an exhaustive knowledge of how we're formed Mm -hmm, and why we resonate with the things that we resonate with and what came from where ultimately yeah talking talk about the leaf mold of the mind where everything just goes in and goes in and goes in right and then it and then it you know whatever what's the word not rot but 
but the mulch mulch it, or, it mulches it it yeah. composts yeah. where where the pieces aren't recognizable anymore but it's something rich yeah. you know that that can give birth to something yeah yeah so i i i think that is a a, a really good description of the process of how that happens so i i think when we're creating it becomes for most of us it becomes this organic Mm-hmm. thing where we just feel our way through it yeah and we have an instinctive sense of whether the direction we're going what 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 we're creating as we're creating it whether it's rhyming mm-hmm. you know internally aesthetically um with the with the larger body yeah. of you know, whatever that particular piece is. And so I my guess is that for Isaac, I mean all of all of the music theory that he's assimilated um just becomes a language that he now speaks, that he mm-hmm. doesn't have to think about, oh, I think I'll, you know, go to the minor third here <laughs> or, you know, whatever yeah, right. it might be. I think it just he's able to translate the emotion, the emotional movement, um, naturally into the the musical expression, and I, I think it would be the same for Cormac McCarthy yeah. that you know the 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 cascading poetry of his images yeah. um, thrown up against one another and kind of you know exploding like like fireworks on 4th of July yeah. all you know yeah against I, one another in the finale that I don't think he thinks about it I think you know he mm-hmm. just has that that sense of whether it's staying on track with yeah right with that internal consistency so yeah I know one thing I've heard you talk about more than once is the idea of getting to a point in a and this is when you're talking about fiction um Maybe we can we need to wrap up here in a minute, but I don't know the extent to which this applies beyond fiction. But you talk about reaching a point in the writing where the where the the story sort starts to take on its own life, where where it's beyond what you had planned for it, it's beyond what you were hoping for it. It's just sort of doing its own. I don't know, doing its own thing is the right way to put it. But but I mean, so many writers I talk to, you know, their what we love best about their work. They don't quite know where it came from either, mm-hmm. and um, and yet to get to that point where where your the work is doing things beyond what you can do yourself, um, in, in order for for that grace, I mean, it, it feels like grace. I don't know any other word mm-hmm. for it. Um, but to reach that point, you've actually got to to somehow be in the habits. You got to be doing doing the work to make room for that for that grace for that external work to express itself I don't know if, uh, you know and so I've been thinking in terms of liturgy you know because you've you know you're now kind of the liturgy guy and uh, and so as we enter into liturgy we are going through some motions in the best possible sense we're going through some motions that say um, reminding ourselves of what's true um, we are forming habits um, making a place for these truths that are expressed in the liturgy to to flower and, and to become true, mm-hmm. or, or to become true, subjectively, these objective truths can become true subjectively in our in our experience. Um, and and I, th- I think you know, you and I have talked before about about the idea of writing habits and when you um, when you are consistent 
in in doing that work, you know, whether you feel inspired or not, just the fact of being in the chair and doing the work makes room for the inspiration to come. And I, I see some important connections there between liturgy and and just the the liturgies of of writing, the habits of writing. Yeah. I think for me, part of why writing is a paralyzing prospect frequently is because there there's that recognition that if if that doesn't happen, that mysterious transaction where it seems like, you know, somehow I've been met by grace in the writing process and and the whole has become more than the sum of the parts and um and well and the which i think we could also describe as finding that rhyme yeah. or that rhyme right. that yeah, rhymes yeah. you know the word that rhymes with everything within the story becoming apparent suddenly emerging uh-huh. um and i think for for me in my experience that that is synonymous with that moment when the story takes on a life of its own. Yeah. Um, and typically I'm wrestling with a story, trying to, you know, trying out different pieces here and there and, you know, rewriting parts. And, and I think maybe it's going to go to this place, but it's when it's suddenly goes somewhere different that I did not anticipate and it happens in the moment when I'm writing that part and then I I suddenly realize how inevitable it was how everything actually was leading to and setting up this moment and I couldn't see it till I was in the middle of writing it Um, and maybe not even in the first draft of it it might be the the fifth draft or the sixth draft when suddenly that thing happens and then from that point writing is a different experience Mm -hmm. then the struggle is to keep up with the story i'm chasing it (laughs) trying not to lose it yeah yeah, you know it's like you're it's like you're running down a game trail after a after the mythical white stag that you (laughs) you think you winged it (laughs) you know (laughs) with your first arrow yeah um but then it darted off into the brush again and you're you're running down the game trail trying to get another sighting of it and trying to to ultimately you know bring it down (laughs) yeah (laughs) yeah but you said that 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 grace doesn't intervene every time you sit down no and and if we if it were in our control it wouldn't be grace anymore Right. Right. If, if we if we knew when I sit down today, this is going to happen. Yeah, you know, it's, it's we've got to we've got to open ourselves up to that possibility and, yeah. and put ourselves in that position, which is I think also what you know what your liturgies do in the I say your is that the right is that the right word your liturgies maybe we should say yeah. <laughs> <laughs> our liturgies that that you wrote <laughs> that you were the vessel for whatever um, and. Um, it, but but we don't we don't have any control over that. But but we mm. all we have control over is I can sit down today and I can I can do the work and maybe this is the day that 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 moment of grace is going to occur. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's a it parallels a lot of other things in our lives and our experience. Yeah. Right. Just that. Um, sometimes all we can choose to do is be present. Mm-hmm. And. Um, And to bring our our weaknesses, yeah. As I think when we 
when we see things most clearly, we see that what we're bringing is not so much our skill. It's just, it's our willingness to, to bring our weakness and our inability. Um, yeah. And, and to offer that up yeah. and to say, you know, use this if you will in whatever way you would. Um, yeah. Yeah. Great. Well, Doug, thanks so much for being here. This has been a lot of fun and, and uh, hope we get to do it again soon. Thanks, John. Oh, wait, I have something else to us. <laughs> Too late. The Rabbit Room has partnered with Lipscomb University to make this podcast possible. Lipscomb has graciously given us access to their recording studio and the Center for Entertainment and Arts building. We're so grateful for their sponsorship, their encouragement, and the good work they do in Nashville. Special shout out as well to the Arcadian Wild for allowing us to use their delightful song, Finch in the Pantry, as part of this podcast. Check out their album of the same name for more excellent music. The Habit Membership is a library of resources for writers by me, Jonathan Rogers. More importantly, The Habit is a hub of community where like-minded writers gather to discuss their work and give each other a little more courage. Find out more at thehabit.co. This podcast was produced by The Rabbit Room, a 501c3 nonprofit dedicated to fostering Christ-centered community and spiritual formation through music, story, and art. All our podcasts are made possible by the generous support of our members. To learn more about us, visit rabbitroom.com and to become a member, rabbitroom.com slash donate.